Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au. Welcome to the mountaintop. That is not me. I can assure you that is not me. Michael Reed's known me for too many years and he's nodding his head and he knows that Heights and I just do not get on. I will get the ladder, I will hold the ladder, but I will not climb the ladder. But the idea of a mountaintop experience is one of those fabulous occasions that stick in our memory of having a great time. As followers of Jesus, we can experience great times of fellowship and deepening in our understanding of what God has done for us and continues to do for us for his glory. Uh, We had an example of that a couple of weeks ago of the seniors' retreat that we went away in the middle of the week. It was like a mountaintop experience. As a seniors' pastor, you knew I'd have to say something about that, wouldn't you? But today we're looking at the mountaintop experience in Israel. This is as good as it gets for ancient Israel. These are the golden years. Now, you will need your Bible to follow tonight's sermon. So, hard copy, if you didn't get one from over there, go grab one. Get your phone out, whatever you need to do, because you will need to to follow along. Um, For those of you that take notes, I'll try and give you the references We will be jumping around a little bit. I've cheated. You notice that I've got all these blue tabs in my Bible so I can get there quickly. I'll try to give you time to catch up if you're good at Bible flicking. Otherwise, make a note of the the references and have a look at them later. Um, At the opening of chapter 5 of 1 Kings in Israel, there is no temple. Um, There's no fame for Israel. There's no real wealth, no real significance as far as the other kingdoms around Israel are concerned. But by the time we get to the end of chapter 10, we have a furnished, finished, sorry, I'll do that again. We have a finished, furnished, functional, fabulous temple. I ran out of F words to alliterate. Um, Much fame. Oh, well, there's one. Uh, A huge amount of wealth and so significant to the nations around that Solomon is visited by the queen of another nation, Sheba, and the queen of Sheba comes with all her entourage. Now today we're going to look, as I say, at the golden years of Israel where we're going to see everything is great in Israel. But then we'll have a closer look and we'll see that mm, everything's not so great. And then to to finish off, we'll see that the temple that we are looking at here is only one of four temples in the Bible, by my count. Uh, That's where we're going. Everything's great. Everything's not so great. The four biblical temples. Let's start. Everything's great. Let's have a look at uh, 1 Kings 5 verse 1. Got it in front of you? Read along with me, quietly. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, 
sent his servants to Solomon when he heard that they had anointed him king in the place of his father. For Hiram always loved David. So what's going on here is that Hiram, who's the king of Tyre, of a, of a, a, a neighbouring country, uh, learns that um, Solomon has become king in place of his father David, who he had a really good relationship with. And so he sends greetings, uh, much the same as we see happen today. Um, uh, after an election, uh, we get a new prime minister, say, and then all the other nations will, will send their congratulatory um, notes. That's, that's fairly normal. All right, let's read on. Um, verse 2. And Solomon sent word to Hiram, You know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the warfare with which his enemies surrounded him until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. And so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God as the Lord said to David, my father. Your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, shall build the house for my name. Now you will be pleased that it is not my intention to read the rest of the verses between here and the end of chapter 10. Uh, if I did that, by the way, it would take 45 minutes. Not a bad use of your time if you haven't already done that. Read all the verses of chapter 5 through chapter 10. Okay. Now, the rest of chapter 5, which I'm not going to read, uh, deals with the preparations for the building of the temple and how Hiram provides timber and workers to help build it. Everything's great between Solomon and Hiram. Verse 12 of chapter 5 tells us that God continued to give Solomon wisdom and Hiram and Solomon cemented their relationship by having a treaty. And the rest of the chapter deals with how the workers were organised. And the result was this magnificent structure. Now, um, to give you an idea of the size of it, I have an arrow in red to point to a man in the picture, but the problem is we've lost the red gun in the data projector, and so it's a black arrow, which you probably can't see, but the height is about that high. That's how high a man is, to give you an idea of the size of the temple. It's quite big. Um, now... Um, it was on the top of a mountain so that it was easy to see. It was obviously big, but it wasn't actually that huge. It, it wasn't sort of the size of something that might be the seven wonders of the world, for example. Um, it was about four storeys high, um, but would it probably only seat about 250 people if it was a church. Now, while it might not have been huge, it was extravagant in the way in which it was set up. Um, you see, the temple was a place for the name of God. People would know this is where God is. If you were in the nation, the idea was that the nations around, if they wanted to know where the God of Israel was, you would go to the temple. That's where God is. And therefore, uh, it was needed to show the holiness and the glory of God. And the holiness of God was shown even in its construction. Have a flick over to uh, chapter 6, verse 7. When the house was built, talking about the temple as the house, when the house was built, it was with stone prepared at the quarry, so that neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron 
was heard in the house while it was being built. Can you imagine that? A silent construction site. That's what we have because it's a holy, it's to be a holy place. Uh, the innermost chamber, which if I could, oh, there's a black arrow pointing to it, which should be red. The innermost chamber, um, the holy of holies, uh, was the holiest place in the temple. And our first reading from Hebrews 9 explains some of the detail of that part. But did you notice that as Sonny read it, um, the writer to the Hebrews says, we haven't got time to go into the detail. And we haven't got time to go into the detail either. Uh, that's for another occasion in a different place. But the extravagance of this temple is amazing. There's gold and bronze and other valuable stuff everywhere. Have a look at chapter 7, verse 13. Uh, chapter 7, verse 13. Here we go. Uh, and King Solomon sent and brought Hiram from Tyre. Now, Hiram must have been a really popular name in Tyre. Because this isn't the king called Hiram. This is another bloke. Let's find out who he is. Uh, he was the son of a widow of the tribe of Naphtali, which is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And his father was a man of Tyre, a working in bronze, uh, he was full of wisdom and understanding and skill for making any work of bronze. He came to, the king, to King Solomon and did all his work. Uh, now, he was a Jew. Um, we know that because his mother was from the tribe of Naphtali. See, how in the ancient world did you know if a Jew was a Jew? Well, what they did was they followed the Jewishness down the mother's line. And the reason for that was... There was no DNA testing available for paternity. But you knew for certain who the mother was. She's the one that gives birth, so that's pretty obvious who it is. Um, so that's why that works. Verse 14, I read. Okay, he was a skilled craftsman and played a significant role with regards to the temple. And so the building goes on and the fit-out culminates in the arrival of the Ark of the Covenant, I'm not going to go into the detail of that now, in chapter 8. So that, it, it, that's the culmination of it. Now, did God approve of the building? Well, let's have a look at chapter 8, verse 10. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. I wonder if that sounds familiar to you. Um, don't turn to it now, unless you're really quick. But Exodus chapter 40 um, deals, we read about the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle was a tent that the Israelites carried around in the wilderness for 40 years when they came out of Egypt under Moses to go to the land that God had promised through Abraham. This was their portable temple. And at the end of Exodus 40, this is what we read. Uh, I'm reading from, uh, if, you, if you're in Exodus 40, I'm reading from verse 33. And he, that is Moses, erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court so Moses finished the work. 
Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Glory clouds, if I can use that term, I didn't find that anywhere in any of my readings, so I'm making it up. Glory clouds um, often accompany God's presence. Uh, you may remember God speaks from a cloud when Jesus is transfigured on the mountain. And you can read about that in Matthew 17. The temple was the same proportions as the tabernacle in the, de in the desert, but four times the size. The tabernacle was a temporary structure. The temple was a permanent one. Well, it was supposed to be a permanent one. But as we know, um, it's. But at the moment, it's permanent. It lasts for 400 years, that's not too bad. Everything is great, isn't it? 1 Kings 8 12, Solomon begins a long speech and a prayer that goes for most of the chapter. He begins by declaring God is the great promise keeper. Having saved uh, the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, God has brought them to the land and fulfilled his promise to David and now the temple is complete. A temple which David wanted to build but God said, no, no, it will be your son who builds it. It's completed, it's done. There is now a house where according to uh, 1 Kings 8.16, God's name would be present amongst his people. God with his people. Just let that sink in for a moment. The enormity of that. The almighty God dwelling with his people. You know, the word tabernacle in Hebrew means dwelling place. You could sort of translate it as God tabernacling with his people. We'll come back to that later, the idea of God dwelling with his people. In verse 22 of chapter 8, Solomon begins his dedication prayer. And when we get to verse 27, he identifies the obvious problem um, with the, uh, uh, the building that he's just built. Uh, the first house Merrin and I bought uh, was a two-bedroom fibro house in Auburn in Sydney. Our first son, Phil, was the first resident of the second room. Our daughter, Lynn, was the second resident of the second room. But we came to the conclusion that our house was too small for us, all four of us, and so we moved into a larger house. Have a look at 1 Kings 8.27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and earth, sorry, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. See, Solomon, Solomon declares that the house that he has built is too small to contain God. You think nothing on heaven or on earth can contain God. You can't put God in a box. The temple is not so much about where God was to live, but it was to be a focal point where the people were to meet God in prayer. That's why the temple was the focal point for prayer. Uh, a focal point for the people, for prayer. God's, name, God's holy name was there, but God himself was not contained there. And as we read on in these verses, 
we learn that God did not hear the prayers of his people in the temple. God does his listening in heaven. Solomon's prayer concludes in chapter 8, verse 60, when he declares that all the peoples on the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. Do you hear the echoes there of God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that all nations would be blessed through him? The temple is for the world to see how great God is. And then in chapter 9, we see Solomon goes on from strength to strength. Everything's great. The world is noticing the God of Israel. Have a look at the opening verses of chapter 10. We are flying through it reasonably quickly, aren't we? Verse 10, chapter 1. Now the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning uh, the name of the Lord. She came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And she came to Solomon and she told him all that was on her mind. And so it goes on. The trip from... That's red down here. So is the arrow. Um, Yemen, modern-day Yemen, is where she would have started off from. That's where ancient Sheba was. And so they travel up to Jerusalem. It's quite a long way. The arrow is probably a little misleading. I suspect that they went by sea as well as by land. But it was a mammoth journey and you don't undertake something like that in the ancient world without a huge motivation. Um, But as we see everything's great, if we look a little closer at those chapters 5 to 10 we discover everything's not so great after all. Come with me back to chapter 7. And here we see an account of Solomon building his own house. Uh, Actually, go to chapter 6, right at the end of chapter 6. The last part of that. He, that's Solomon, talking about the building of his house, his own personal house, his palace, the king's palace. He was seven years in building it. Solomon was building his own house. Sorry, I'll start that again. He was seven years in building and he's referring to the temple. It took seven years to build the temple. And then in verse 1 we read, Solomon was building his own house 13 years and he finished his entire house. Why has the writer interrupted his account of the building of the temple? with Solomon building his own house. Why has the writer done that? Is Solomon distracted by his own personal interest and grandeur as king? He spends almost twice the time building his own house than his temple. And and what's with making an alliance with Egypt by taking Pharaoh's daughter as his wife back in 1 Kings 3? I know that was before... Chapter 5. Does his accumulation of wealth get the better of him? Actually, everything's not so great. The temple doesn't even solve the problem of sin either, does it? It provides a way to deal with sin, sort of. Uh, Chapter 8 tells us that. But indeed, the failure of Israel to obey God is not far away. And the continuance of the temple is conditional on Israel's obedience. 
Have a look at chapter 9, verse 6. Chapter 9, verse 6. Dressing the people of Israel, the Israelites. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them and the house that I have consecrated for my name. I will cast out of my sight. Israel will become a proverb and a byword amongst all peoples and this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss and they will say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? And then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought them out of their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. Right from the outset, that's not far away. Right from the beginning of this golden age, the future is there. Everything's not so great. It looks like, and history tells us, this seemingly permanent structure like the tabernacle, is also temporary. As I said, in about 400 years after the build, um, the Babylonian Empire would arrive in Jerusalem and destroy the temple and carry the Israelites into captivity. After that, the Israelites come back from exile, they rebuild the temple, in fact it's rebuilt a couple of times, only to be finally destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, and that prophecy in 1 Kings 6, 9 and following is true to this day. The temple is a heap of ruins. There is no temple in Jerusalem. And interestingly, on the Temple Mount site is a Muslim museum. And all this poses a question for us. Is there no permanent place for God to dwell with his people. Which brings us to our final heading, the four biblical temples. So far today, we've talked about two of the temples. One was the tabernacle in the wilderness, and the other one is this temple in Jerusalem. And remember I said that God tabernacled or dwelt with his people in the wilderness? Here's a rhetorical question. Where else in the Bible have we read where God tabernacled or dwelt with his people? Come with me to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, verse 8 really. Um, here's the context, Adam and Eve have eaten from the tree that God commanded them not to eat. And they heard, verse 8, chapter 3 of Genesis, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, in the cool of the day. Is that not dwelling with your people? God walked around with Adam and Eve in the garden. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Brothers and sisters, there is a sermon in that which I have given on other occasions, which I'm tempted to give now, but I won't. God tabernacled. He dwelt with our first parents in the Garden of Eden. That was the first temple, the Garden of Eden. The second temple was the temple in the, the tabernacle in the wilderness, which was appointed to the third temple in Jerusalem. 
Now, just as a side note, just so you know how I'm doing this calculation, for the sake of this discussion, I'm including the rebuild of the temple after the exiles returned and Herod's temple uh, and this temple because they're all located on the same site. So I'm, I'm just conflating all of those. But each of them are temporary temples which point to a fourth and permanent temple. Don't look it up unless you're quick, but John chapter 2 is where we're going now. Uh, the context here is Jesus has just cleansed the temple and the Jews, of course, get quite upset by that. And in verse uh, 19 of chapter 2, they ask for an explanation. Actually, verse 18, they ask for the explanation. Uh, so the Jews said to him, verse 18 of John chapter 2, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Uh, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. <laughs> what did the, the Jews respond to that? They said it's taken 46 years to build this temple. Interesting, isn't it? The original one took seven years. This one took 46. Anyway, It took 46 years to build this temple and you'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he raised from the dead, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he'd said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. There you have it. Jesus is the final permanent temple. But the Bible also teaches that we are God's temple. How does that all work? There are a number of passages in the Bible that talk about God being, us being God's temple. Um, we don't really have time to go through them all, but let me, let's have a look at a couple and we can discuss others if you like. As I say, don't bother to look them up, but if you're taking notes, I'll give you the references. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? In uh, Peter, in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 5 says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Hmm. One of the biggest problems we have in the West, and I think we're seeing this more and more, is individualism. It's all about me. And when we read these verses, we can fall into the trap of thinking that I personally am the temple of God. But in all of those New Testament passages, including the ones that I haven't read, the yous and the yours are just that, plural. When Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.15 that we are the temple of the living God, he does not mean each of us individually. He means the Corinthian church. The problem we have in translating the Bible is that uh, we use the word you to mean a particular person and you to mean everyone collectively. For those of you who are old enough to remember the King James Version, these and thous helped us out because that gave us the singular and plural version of you. Sometimes we sing songs with that in it. You might like to make sure you know the difference between thee and thou. Maybe we should talk about yous. Or if we're all American, we go, y'all. Sorry for any Americans in the room. 
And as we saw in our recent series on church, we're not part of the church. We, the Point Community Church, are the full expression of God's new covenant temple on earth. We, the church, are the temple of God, with Christ as the chief cornerstone. The temple is us collectively, not individually, as we're united in Christ together. Jesus is the temple and we of his church are the temple because we are in Christ, yes, individually, but together we are God's temple. So how does the temple idea play out for Christians? Where is God's temple today? It's the church wherever it gathers. Here God's temple is the Point Community Church. Please don't mishear what I'm saying. God's spirit dwells in each of us individually the moment we turn into Christ. But the expression of that as God's temple is collective, not individualistic. And if you've been coming for a few weeks and if you sat through our series on church, uh, and if you haven't, it's worthwhile, again, going to our YouTube channel and watching those sermons. It's pretty clear that belonging to a church is vital for the Christian. Now, I am certainly not the first person to say this, but I think coming to church has kept me Christian. Because keeping coming to church, even when I don't feel like it, has kept me close to Christ. And so I recommend church for that reason. It keeps me Christian. I don't think coming to church is an optional extra if you're a follower of Jesus because together we are God's temple. If we don't meet, how would we give expression to that? Now, there are all sorts of reasons why we might not gather, sickness or holidays. I can imagine you saying for the next four weeks, Graham Marks told us that we should be in church every week and he's not here. You can take holidays, okay? That's okay. I won't be here for the next four weeks. Um, taking a break. But the normal pattern, the normal intention would be for us to meet, to give expression of what it means to be God's temple because God's temple is on the hill. It's the beacon. It's how people will know that the Lord is God. Now, during COVID, we couldn't meet. Uh, we tried to compensate by providing a recorded service online. Here's a controversial comment, maybe. That's not church. Uh, happy to discuss that if you wish, but you cannot do church on TV. While the recorded service is a great way to teach the Bible and the Zoom morning teas that we did were a way to keep in touch, was not a substitute for church. The gathering of God's people, or to use the language of today's sermon, the temple, it's not a building, it's us gathered. Now, buildings, of course, are useful constructions. That's why we want to build a mission campus. We're not building a temple. Why are we not building a temple? Because the temple's already been built. It's Jesus and we are wedded to him as the temple of God. What we are building is a shelter for the rain and the sun so that we don't have to put out chairs every week. Well, you're sitting there thinking, I don't have to put chairs out every week. No, you don't. The morning people do that. You've got to put them away. You won't have to do that. And we'll be able to run outreach programs like Summerfest. Think carefully and pray hard about contributing to the mission campus. And if you're not able to because you have little money, I could talk about the widow's might, but throw a dollar in or more. 
Okay, let's wrap this up. Uh, the temple that we see in the Old Testament is important for us to see it as the focal point of God and his people and a sign for what's to come. As followers of Jesus, we as the church are God's temple and God's spirit lives in us. So let us live lives that reflects that reality as we gather together as God's people. The temple showed the glory of God. The purpose of the temple was for the nations to see that God dwelt with his people and to draw them to God. This is not the role of a building anymore, but it is the role of God's church. And what a privilege that is. And the great thing to know is that we don't do that in our own strength, but God's strength. Remember, at the end of the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How does he do that? By giving us his Holy Spirit. How about we pray? Oh, Father, we thank you that Jesus is your temple and because we are one with Christ, the church is your temple. May people see your glory through us. May they be drawn to Christ through us. Thank you that Jesus is the chief cornerstone, that we may align ourselves with him and may we bring glory to you. May we be a beacon for your glory so that those who do not know you will come to know you. May all of us be strengthened and encouraged as we meet week by week for the glory of your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our latest sermon or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5 p.m. Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tpcc.org.au.